I long, this is how I was, I was thinking as I was hearing Luke speak. I long to see a million more lay, that means they're not professional Christians, lay elders in our country who would speak with such care for their people and carefulness with their words. That was so encouraging to me, Luke. This is the first time I've been out of the state since uh, COVID-19 started, and certainly the first time since the, uh, uh, the killing of George Floyd and the subsequent riots. And to know, to know that people in Iowa are speaking like that about this issue is incredibly encouraging to me. Thank you. Uh, my mother-in-law has cancer. Uh, I, the reason why I say that is um, our, we have an annual family tradition of going to the cabin up north for the 4th of July. And so in order for us to do that, we have to be uh, probably more careful than the average person on COVID-19. So um, I, I'm, a, I'm the extrovert in the family, so this, this part kills me. But uh, right after the service is done, I'm just going to book it for the doors. And so I, 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 I hope I don't look rude. Um, but uh, I always want there to be a time for questions afterwards. So at the end of my sermon, in, in place of the uh, reflective time, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to just, just stand and ask a question. And if you're online, uh, type in in the comments and one of the people here uh, is going to read that question to me. So I'm not sure if we'll be able to get to all of the questions uh, online or even if you're in person and have a question, um, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk through a few, and I'm happy to answer any question that's asked sincerely uh, after the sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make me wise in my speech Make me humble in my tone. Help all the people here listen, men, women, and children. In Jesus' name, amen. George Floyd died after Derek Chauvin, a man who was called to protect with courage and serve with compassion as he stewarded his calling as a peace officer kneeled on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. George's death is the fourth high-profile uh, killing at the hands of the police in the, uh, in the Twin Cities in the last five years. Two of these other killings, like Floyd's, took place right in Minneapolis. In 2015, Jamar Clark was killed by an officer right in our neighborhood. This sparked protest outside the 4th Precinct. That's the precinct in North Minneapolis, where we live and uh, where Northside Neighborhood Church is. In 2016, Philando Castile was driving with his girlfriend and her four-year-old daughter when he was pulled over for a broken taillight. Uh, Castile, like uh, I'm sure a lot of you here, was a legal gun owner, and he told that to the officer, and then the officer said, that's okay, um, now why don't you grab your ID? And when he went to grab his, license, uh, his driver's license, uh, Officer Yanez got scared, and he shot Philando Castile. Officer Yanez was acquitted of all charges. In 2017, Justin, Justine Damon, a Minneapolis resident from Australia, the country that my sister lives in, called police to report a possible assault in her alley. As Damon approached the side window of the police car, Officer Muhammad Noor got scared and shot and killed her. Noor was charged and sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison, and Damon's family also successfully sued the city of Minneapolis for $20 million, which is one of the largest settlements ever involving a police shooting. Not surprisingly, there is a big appetite for serious reform 
of the Minneapolis Police Department. The cause of reform and for, for reform is being pushed by many people and many groups. The most famous of these groups is Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter got their name from a hashtag that began circulating after George Zimmerman was acquitted of the killing of Trayvon Martin. The phrase Black Lives Matter is meant to promote the importance and the worth of black people. But the organization, so I'm talking about the phrase, now I'm talking about the organization Black Lives Matter, is much more complicated. They seek police reform, but also a myriad of other issues, some of which are directly opposed to Christian teachings. Because of this, I don't want you to hear this now, because of this, I don't know a single preacher who embraces the Bible as the perfect and holy word of God. I don't know a single one of those preachers, whether white or black, who supports the organization Black Lives Matter. This includes, like I said, black and white preachers. A, a pastor friend of mine who's, you know, I'm kind of mentored by a committee. And so uh, this pastor friend up in uh, Detroit is a friend, but he's also kind of like a mentor of mine. Uh, he's an African-American, and recently he was interviewed by a supporting church in Washington State about the issues of police brutality, and he explained to them in more depth what I am explaining now about the difference between capital B, Black Lives Matter, and hashtag Black Lives Matter. Within 30 minutes of his interview, uh, the church YouTube page got a message from YouTube flagging that interview and they were warned that if they make another video like that, their page, their channel will be, will be cut off. So as you can see, uh, and maybe as I'm talking slowly here, because any critique of even just the organization Black Lives Matter is controversial. I've seen something happen in the last five years. This is why my heart was... <sighs> so glad to hear Luke speak how he spoke, because in the last five years, I have seen churches split over the issue of police reform and Black Lives Matter and hashtags and etc. Many in a church speak out strongly for police accountability and reform, and some of them use the phrase hashtag Black Lives Matter. Others in the church hop onto the Black Lives Matter website and they see their anti-Christian goal spelled out. Then, those who look at that website, maybe they have fear and, and anger come in. They're thinking, are, are all those people in my church supporting a neo-Marxist movement? Don't they know what Black Lives Matter stands for, what it means? The confusion here is typically because most true Christians, when they're talking about Black Lives Matter, are talking about the phrase or the hashtag, Black Lives Matter. They're not in support of the goals of Black Lives Matter, except those of police reform. So we have... Uh, three things ahead of us as Christians in this time. The, the, the first thing is as Christians, we should be, uh, we are called, I believe, to say no to the organization of Black Lives Matter. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not partner with them on a specific issue, just like you could partner with a, a local mosque downtown or you could partner with a Unitarian church on a specific issue doesn't mean that you can't go to a protest or a community event where Black Lives Matter is present. But to show allegiance to that organization would be a thing a Christian should not do. So it's a clear no for support of the organization Black Lives Matter. Then, as Christians, we have freedom of conscience conscience to choose whether or not we use the phrase Black Lives Matter. 
we are free, depending on our conscience, to say hashtag Black Lives Matter. Because what's wrapped up in that, and we need to remember that, what's wrapped up in that phrase is not the organization. The organization hijacked the phrase. The phrase came first, the organization came second. So when you see people online or, or in person or at a protest saying Black Lives Matter, don't assume that they're in support of the organization. But I can totally understand, and, and to be completely upfront, I, I'm one of these people who I've never uh, written online Black Lives Matter. And that's not because I don't believe it, I do. Uh, I, I'm dedicating my life to Black Lives Mattering. But it's just not a phrase I use, and that's just a, a personal conscience issue. When I see friends and, and other pastors using that phrase, I have nothing wrong with it because I know where they're coming from in that. And so we need some real grace for each other in this moment in our time where we don't assume the worst of each other online. We don't assume that because they're saying Black Lives Matter, they're Marxist or because they're not saying Black Lives Matter, that they don't believe that Black Lives Matter. This third thing, though, we, are, we need to do together, okay? As Christians, we are called to better the communities that we live in. There are, I believe, 12,000 police precincts in the United States of America. I was listening to a, a podcast with uh, Anthony Bradley, who's a great thinker, uh, who I, I really respect. He's African-American, uh, PhD, a professor at King's College in New York City. We spoke one time. He almost made me cry, but uh, I don't hold that against him. Uh, I'm just sensitive. Uh, and he said, there's 12,000 pol different police precincts, or police departments, I'm sorry. So that means there's probably 12,000 different solutions. So for where I live, I feel called, our church feels called to better our community by seeking real police reform. And, and, and we do this in support of our police chief who is, is working toward the same thing uh, in our city. Now, where do you live? I, I can't tell you. We've, we've kind of got our hands full with issues in Minneapolis, if you can tell on the news. But you are called Riverwood Church. You are called to seek the welfare of your city, to seek the welfare of your town. Now, how does that look? Abraham Lincoln talked about forming a more perfect union. To advocate for reform doesn't mean you're not patriotic. In fact, it's our patriotic, but more importantly, it's our Christian duty to pursue a more perfect union in our country, in our states, and in our cities. Am I making sense here? So don't throw the baby of police reform out with the Marxist water of the organization of Black Lives Matter. But also, make sure as you are giving the baby a bath not to accidentally drink the Marxist water. It made sense on paper. As we get into, uh, uh, don't, just, don't just bring your Bible to a protest. Saturate your life in the Bible so that when you get to the protest, you'll be speaking the words of God. The culture does not dictate justice. God dictates justice. And where God speaks on justice, we are wrong to be silent and we are wrong to be complacent. It's not either or. It's not right or left. It's kingdom. Okay? Now, these are complicated times. I feel very sad, very worried in these complicated times where what's desperately needed is wisdom. I feel very concerned for children, for teens, and even for young adults who feel like they have to navigate these confusing times alone. 
What we need right now is wisdom, wisdom to live uprightly in God's world during the time he has given us. You were placed in this time in human history, in this town for a purpose, and that's to live wisely with the days God gives you. And you have these young children, these teens, these young adults who have grown up in churches like Riverwood who are are looking online, who, who are, are, are hearing the voices from, from TV and at school and wherever else, and they're so confused. Therefore, since the world is in desperate need for wisdom, therefore, the world is in desperate need for households led by daddies that pass down wisdom to their children. Open the Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to preach as fast as I can, Riverwood, okay? I've got a four-year-old in the front row, okay? (laughs) This isn't going to be one of those times where I go an hour and then I realize it was an hour. I know the time, okay? Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The context of this, you know, I used to think I knew the New Testament better than the Old Testament, and then I realized because I didn't know the Old Testament very well, I didn't know the New Testament as well as I thought I did. You know, all these verses, so many of the verses in the New Testament are echoing Old Testament verses, So, and you don't have to open there, but uh, hear Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, and, and that, what does it mean? Obey, honor your father and mother and you live long in the land. What does that mean? See, God says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I, t- I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are, I'm going to say it again, you shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them all. Honor your father and mother, that you may live well, that you may live long in the land. What does that mean? That means that the fathers and the mothers were called to pass down the faith to the children. It's a commandment with a promise because God is talking to households that are following the Lord. Christianity is not an individualistic faith. It's more than just me and Jesus. Parents, take responsibility for your households. God's primary strategy for passing down the faith in both the Old and in the New Testament, God's primary strategy for passing down the faith is from parents to children. Yes, Let's pray for a revival. I'm planting a church so people who didn't grow up in Christian households can come to know the Lord. Let's pray for revival. Let's pray that more households hear about the Lord, but in doing so, for me to neglect passing the faith down to my child is a serious error. Parents are called to pass down the way of the Lord to their children. In Ephesians chapter 6, 4, Fathers are addressed as representing both mom and dad. So mothers, this is for you too. And if you're not a father, if you're not a mother, you should really be listening to this, especially if you want to be a father or a mother someday. Prepare before you get there. I was fortunate to marry her when I was 21. Uh, Adeline, we did foster care. Adeline moved into our house when I was... 
22 or 23, I think. You know, that's kind of young. But it's because of preaching like this that, even though maybe I'm not the best father and husband, but it was because of teaching like this that's guided me before I got to marriage, before I got to fatherhood. Preachers who opened the Bible and who counseled me, who passed down their wisdom to me, have allowed me and equipped me to do the same for my daughter and to lead my household well. So if you're here and you want to be a father and mother, listen closely. If you're here and you're called to a life of celibacy, then you're still called to the life of the local church. And the local church is called to care for children. So in hearing this, think, how can I be supportive of those families? How can I be supportive of those moms and of those dads? And before we get into verse 4 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, I just want you to know, fathers, I'm so honored to be talking to you today. I am so honored to be talking to dads who love their children, who live with their children. I've heard, I haven't experienced this, experienced this, but I've heard that Mother's Day sermons are also often really nice, and Father's Day sermons are, you know, hitting you over with a hammer. I have no intent to do that today. Instead, I, I, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and then I want to walk through it, and then end with three things you need to know to live up to what this verse is calling you to do. Okay? If you're offended, I don't know. You're you're too sensitive. (laughs) You can say that in Iowa. You can't say that in Minneapolis. It's not. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So don't provoke them with anger. This verse could be translated, don't incite anger, don't arouse your children to anger, don't stir up their anger, don't push your children's buttons. Many fathers have in their zeal to pass down the faith provoked their children to anger. I know adult children who hated the way their father used the Bible as a hammer and not as a map to guide them to the grace of the Lord. If you're looking for some great ways to provoke your child or your children to anger, uh, here are some tips. If you're looking for ways to provoke your child or children to anger, speak to them even when they're older like they're still a baby. Speak to them in a dismissive way that does not recognize their growing intelligence. Take your anger from work or from wherever else you are out on them. Ignore them, neglect them, micromanage them even as they get older. Speak to them without continuing to get to know them. The happiest adult children I know have parents who never stopped getting to know them, who never stopped taking an interest in them. At at some point, so many moms and dads, most I think, moms and dads just stop getting to know their child. We'll get more to that at the end, though. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, so there's one don't, don't provoke your children to anger, but then, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it says, bring them up. This is an active word, bring them up. God does not call you to simply keep your kids safe from the world but to bring them up in the Lord. The call of fatherhood is not a call to passivity, but a call to active faith, to an activity, not passivity. Fatherhood is a calling. This word translated here as bring them up is the same word translated in verse 29 of chapter 5 when it calls husbands to nourish their wives just as they do their own bodies. That word, bring them up and nourish, is the same. Husbands, fathers, listen, there's a reason why I'm not coming at you with a hammer today, because I know 
I know how easy it is to push cruise control on your household. TV today is amazing. I know how easy it is to, to neglect your, your wife, to neglect your child, your children, for the seemingly more press, pressing issues at work. But your family needs you, men. Look at me. Your family needs you. You've got life insurance. Your family needs you more. You are irreplaceable to your family. A child needs not just two parents. A child needs a father who lives in the home and who loves that child's mother. If a child does not have this, I grew up without that. Okay, I grew up in, 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 in with shared custody. If, if a child does not have their father living in the home with mom and loving mom, then they are lacking something they need. You can live without two legs, but you still need two legs. Dads, don't give up. Don't give up. How many, I don't want to scare the children, but you can think of ways that dads can leave, right? And that even they can leave this world thinking they're worthless. Don't give up. Your children need you to bring them up. To bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Discipline. Parents are called to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, we're going to look at that word discipline, okay? Fathers, you are called to discipline your children. Donald Whitney says, discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. So if you don't have a direction for why you're fathering, that's a bore. If your kids aren't given some direction, some vision of the future, your discipline is just a bore. How often? I had to do it this week. We don't S-P-A-N-K. I can't even say it because she's here. We don't do it very often, but I had to do it this week. And I know there's conscience issues on that too. It wasn't in my notes, okay? Sorry. But I had to do it this week, and I hated every second of it. And I didn't do it angry. And we hugged and we tickled afterwards. We said, I'm training you up. I'm not just babysitting my daughter for 18 years. I'm training her up. The, the same word is used in 2 Timothy uh, chapters, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And it's translated as training. So discipline, training. Leading up to that passage in 2 Timothy, Paul warns Timothy, his spiritual son who he's discipling. We need more spiritual fathers, by the way. I was a lonely child, very easily influenced by the, the big kids and the adults around me. And I had people take an interest in me. I had Sam Young, three years ahead of me in school. It doesn't take much. He would pick me up, he'd bring me to youth group. He'd take an interest in me. He wouldn't make fun of me, he wouldn't tease me, he wouldn't put me down, but he'd listen to me. 10 years ago, this week, I visited my, my cousin who was planting a church in Minneapolis and he let me stay with him and he was in his mid-20s at the time and it, thought he was cool, and I get to learn about church planning, and now that's what I'm giving my life to. Do you see the positive effect that taking an interest in a young boy or a young girl can do? There are children, I don't know about your block, but I know on my block, there are children who are looking for older people to look up to. In my neighborhood, they might get in gangs if they find the wrong people. Maybe not in Waverly, maybe not in your neighborhood. But the internet has provided a lot of things to get into. Listen, you guys think everything's all nice here. Come on. 
I'm from Iowa, all right? I know what kids are thinking. I know what they're doing. We barely even had high-speed internet at the time. Oh, my goodness. And they weren't in our pockets either. Take an interest in some children around you. Tell a young boy you're proud of him. Do that. So Paul was his spiritual father, and, and Paul was telling Timothy to flee from the ways of the world, to not allow the ways of the false teachers to influence him. And then he gets to uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, where he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Fathers, train up your child to send them out into the world to war against the darkness. God calls all people into his army. Train your children up for the battle. Train them to bring order into a chaotic world. Train them to be self-disciplined and, and patient in a now, now, now world. Train them to bring peace into a world that loves violence. Train them to listen to the vulnerable and poor in a world that closes the ears of their heart to the most in need. Your work as a father has exceptional, exceptional purpose. Live out that pur purpose passionately. Instruction. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, Paul says. Now, let's take a quick word of that, that word so we can see the calling to instruct. Our faith is passed on by hearing. When the apostles had to choose between serving food to widows and teaching, what they choose? They chose teaching. And they called other men to serve food. They didn't do that because they were lazy or they were jerks or that they didn't care about widows. They did this because without teaching, the movement of Christianity dies. We pass down the faith by teaching. And, every, and, and, and so in every Christian household where a father is present, the father is charged to teach. This makes a lot of men nervous, okay? They, I, don't, I don't know enough. I, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. Re recently, I saw a little, a little quote from uh, Vody Bachum, and I, I couldn't find it, so I'm paraphrasing. But he, he addressed this fear, and he says, you just got to be one step ahead of your kids. Just stay one step ahead of your kids. You don't have to be a, a PhD in Bible to teach your children. And in fact, many of the children who Paul was writing to, remember, this is early on in Christianity, many of the people who Paul was writing to were brand new believers, and they were called to train their children up and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. How do you bring your children up? Children up? in the instruction of the Lord, you read the Bible and you tell them what's in there. You open the Bible and you read it with your children as your four-year-old daughter screams, I don't want to go to Bible class. I don't want family devotionals. A friend of mine has that problem. And I'm not here to get real practical today. But I know that if Aaron or I imagine if another elder, if you were to go up to them and say, I want to instruct my children in the Lord, would you meet up with me so you can help me learn how to do that? Oh, I don't want to talk about Aaron. I'd be thrilled if a man in my church said that. Just stay one step ahead of them. Just be the most committed theologian in your household. Don't push your wife down to do that. Don't say, oh, don't, don't learn too much. You know, some men do that. Oh, you, you can't learn more than me, so stop learning. No, 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 no. It's, oh, man, she's really smart. My wife is 10 ACT points smarter than me. Like, there's, there's a stat on how much smarter than she means. You get it. I can't even talk. <laughs> to be the most committed theologian in your household doesn't mean you push your wife down. It means 
you take that as a challenge and you learn, 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 learn. And you commit to learning for the sake of your household because you've been tasked to be the primary teacher in your household, not Aaron, but you, Father. There's three things you must know to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing is you must know the Bible. Just what I just said. You must know the Bible. Not perfectly, but commit to, commit to getting to know God's book more and more and more. It's a great day to start that. The second thing you need to know is you need to know the culture. Children are daily sold worldliness. The world is telling them what to believe and, and framing how they are to think. So take some time to get to know some popular uh, teachings in our, in our culture. Take some time to hear what the most popular professional tweeters and bloggers and YouTubers and podcasters and all the others are doing. Just learn a little bit about that. You don't got to be an expert in the culture either, but have an idea of maybe some of the teachings that are out there. And that's outside the church, but also inside the church. There's a lot of bad teaching coming from inside our churches, inside our church world. Monitor their internet, okay? And I'm not just talking about for the reason why most parents typically monitor internet. I'm also talking about these demonic worldviews that children are getting into. So in our neighborhood, we, I, there's some talk that they're still here, but, you know, we were terrorized by white supremacists in our neighborhood. And these are young guys, young guys, without really an organized leader, but who came around this movement from, from, from teachings and writings on the internet. Think about how many of these, these young guys got into this, and it seemed to make sense to them. It was speaking their language, speaking their heart, and where was mom and dad? Did they stop knowing their children? Did they stop? Did they not even know that white supremacy was still around? It's around and it's growing. Hear that. And then in response to that, young people are going the far left and it's all crazy. And it's our responsibility as parents to get to know the culture because they don't get to 12 and we shoot them up to heaven. We're called to send them out as warriors into the world. And about that, by the way, you can't make your child become a Christian. You know, I, 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 less now, but I've had a fair amount of debates with, with atheists uh, who have grown up Christian, and I think, you think that's what that passage means? So I have a commitment that if my daughter's going to be an atheist, she's going to be an atheist that doesn't make stupid arguments about the Bible, okay? I can't force her to believe, but I can instruct her in what the Bible actually says. Now, third thing you need to know to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, you need to know your children. I speak to so many, like I said, so many adult children who feel so unknown by their parents. At some point, mom and dad stopped taking an interest in me. I want to tell you one quick story. My cousin who had me up 10 years ago, what does that make him now, 34, something like that? He's planting a church in Salt Lake City, Utah right now. And he came to the Midwest because he uh, had to preach at a conference in Wisconsin, and that's actually where his, where his family lived. So he flew into Minnesota, and then we're like, let's spend some time together. I did some connecting with, with, with other people out there, made it a work trip, and we spent a couple days together. And we stayed at my aunt and uncle, his mom and dad's house. That first night, we get there, nine o'clock or so. And his parents say, do you want to go to Applebee's? 
That's my dad's brother. My dad goes to bed way earlier than that, but that's fine. Uh, half price apps at nine. Yeah, man. Uh, that was late for me, actually. Uh, and we're sitting down at Applebee's. Remember, my cousin is 34. And his mom and his dad say, tell us all about what's happening in Salt Lake. Tell us all about this conference that you're preaching at. And his mom said something. I hope I never forget it. She said to her son in her, his mid-30s, she said, yeah, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Know the Bible, know the culture, and know your children. Do you have any questions about anything? Are there any questions on the comments? It's okay if not, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ramble for a minute to give you some time to think, if you do. And I might sit in awkward silence for a bit. That's hard for me. I love you too. Patrick, could you tell us just a little bit about your church and where your church is? Sure, sure. Um, sure, a little bit about our church and where we're currently at. Uh, Riverwood right now is our only supporting church, by the way. That's amazing to me. You guys, you know, I've gone to mega churches, like several thousand. Like, ah, it's just not in the budget right now, you know, and that's okay, that's okay. This just, you guys are so encouraging to me to our church that you'd support us and you'd care about what's happening in North Minneapolis. Uh, our church is about, where are we at now, about, about a dozen neighbors in North Minneapolis. We had a woman come to faith uh, about shortly before COVID, and uh, she had, she actually doesn't even live in the neighborhood. She used to live in the neighborhood, but she became a Muslim about 15 years ago and uh, got divorced from her husband that was Muslim and and was just really wanting to have a relationship with God. And, and, and without going into too much detail, she was in a class with a woman uh, from our church, Tasha. And Tasha said, come to our Bible study. And she did. And then we met up the next week. And I, I, we went through the, the Bible and told her the gospel. And then about a week after that, so it was about a week and a half after we met her, she came to faith. And uh, I was supposed to baptize her a few weeks ago, but COVID delayed that. But uh, she is excited about the Lord. Um, same, same here. I, I think I heard Luke say that uh, the church has grown a little bit in COVID. Same thing for us, uh, people logging in online. Uh, you know, what you could be praying for is that we would just stay unified in this. Uh, you know, I have been actually preparing us for, uh, we started, I think, we started meeting as a group about in the fall. So Shelby and me and Addie were just working alone for a long time. And now, you know, if we wanted to do anything, we had to call you guys, and you guys came up and helped us, you know. And now we got people from the neighborhood helping us. It's, it's wonderful, right? But we've been meeting as a group of us since early fall, and I've been preparing us for a controversial year. And what I meant was the election. It's like, I don't even remember that there still is an election. Uh, so COVID and, 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 and the death of George Floyd, obviously, and, and the subsequent riots. Um, been teaching, and, you know, the epistles have, uh, the New Testament have a ton to say about unity in Christ, and uh, God just blessed us. We are so unified right now, uh, and, and, and people, church feels more like family than it ever has right now in this moment. But uh, we are still praying that that would, that, would, that would be true. So, yeah, it's a weird time to plant a church, but uh, it's an amazing time to plant a church, too, because people are asking the big questions, big questions of faith, big questions of life and death right now, big questions of why am I here, et cetera. And so I truly believe that Northside Neighborhood Church has been put 
in this time, in this place for a purpose. And how were we? Well, our neighborhood was. So uh, Tuesday, I was at the... Oh, were we affected by, by the riots? So George Floyd, a video came out on Memorial Day. Uh, went to the peaceful... Uh, so we were supposed to have a Bible study uh, the first day of the riots. And uh, Malcolm and Tasha, they were going down to 38th in Chicago where he was killed. I thought, hey, our Bible study became a prayer night, and I went down to 38th in Chicago to be with, the, with Malcolm and Tasha and, and to be supportive of them while they're praying. And it's very emotional, you know? I feel, I feel emotions about it seemingly overwhelming emotions about it. But to Malcolm, to Tasha, to most African-American folks, it's hard to explain the emotions. So we went down there. It was very peaceful. We prayed down there. Then we went to the third precinct, and uh, uh, that uh, peaceful protest became not peaceful. Uh, And that was crazy. And so uh, my role as pastor that night became help Tasha not die, and Tasha's role as my black friend was help my white friend not die at his first violent protest. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, Wednesday night, we, we went down, and we just, we just prayed, her, me, and another friend. We actually met at a college student who was down for the exact same purpose, just to be president and to pray. Thursday night, I thought, Shelby, I haven't seen you all week. It's just going to be you and me tonight, Okay. Uh, got a text on my phone, so the rioting's come to north. And so looting came to our neighborhood that night. Uh, me, Malcolm, Tasha, Alex, and Aaron were out uh, just being there, uh, praying, just, you know, it's like a tornado. It's like, get in the basement. Why are you out on the porch watching it? I don't know, because your whole city's being destroyed, you know? It's not logical, but... And then... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go through every day of the last year. How long has it been? Uh, but, um, yeah, our, our, our neighborhood has been very, very affected by it. Very affected. It's, it's, uh, it's a pretty sad sight. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions about, about, the, about the sermon or about life in North Minneapolis or anything on the... I, I have a question from the jurors. Oh, they're nice. I think in person they're nice. Is this on, Randy? Okay. This is from the Baduras. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for your message. Do you have any resources you would recommend for teens about racial reconciliation through a Christian worldview? Sure. Uh, Read everything that John Perkins has ever written. John M. Perkins, okay? Uh, So he's my friend. You know, he, he turned 90 on Tuesday, and uh, every time I call him, I have to say, this Patrick, church planner from Minneapolis, we've spoken several times, and he says, oh, you're a friend, okay, and then he talks my ear off for, you know, we talked for 80 minutes, anyway. It was cool, because I was a teenager and learned about John Perkins, and then a young adult and read Beyond Charity, and then met him, and he said, let me give him my phone number, and now we, now we talk, you know, uh, so read everything by him, uh, uh, what, what what, what, sh- what would be a good book on racial reconciliation from him, like for a teenager? So One Blood by John M. Perkins. One Blood. I haven't read the whole thing yet, so. But I've read a lot of his books, too. Unless he became a heretic at his 10th decade or 9th or 10th, whatever that is. So, yeah, John M. Perkins. Read everything from him. And so for... for for me, what he's done is I saw a lot of people who 10 years ago, they were saying racism is bad, and now they're saying uh, Jesus isn't the only way to God, or racism is bad, now there's 38 genders. And I'm like, how did it go from here to there? And uh, the long and short of it is, is there are certain uh, ideologies that will lead you to say racism is, racism is bad, and will, will cause you to approve of a host of other things. 
So you're at the Justice Station, okay? The ju- go to Justice Station. It's a pretend place, okay? It's not a website. <laughs> Justice Station. Be careful of the train you hop on at Justice Station, okay? Bring this book so you hop on the right train, okay? John Perkins keeps the gospel the main thing. And his view of the gospel is bigger than just believe in your heart and you'll have a private relationship, right? The, the, big, the, 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 the Bible's gospel is bigger than that. You know, God reconciling people to God and to one another. Black and white. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 10. Oh, Ephesians is a good book to read about racial reconciliation uh, for teens. Uh, you know, God, uh, the plan of God is to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. So, uh, yeah, read everything from John M. Perkins. And it, it, you know, he dro- he's a third grade dropout, you know, so he's, he's not exactly hard to read, you know. He, he speaks my language, you know, I'm a college dropout, so... Uh, you know, teens can pick that stuff up. Any other questions or thoughts or we're good? Well, hey, uh, um, if someone on a Facebook page or something like that can share my email, um, I just would love if you reach out anytime. Um, there, there's a lot happening back home in Minneapolis, and uh, being from Iowa, I'm hopeful that uh, that people aren't here just saying, look at those crazy people up in Minneapolis, and that your hearts would stay with us because we're trying. People from our church, we're not looting. We're trying. Okay? So, so don't forget about us in your prayers, and uh, uh, don't write us off as crazy radicals. Uh, if anything I've said here offends you, uh, uh, yeah, that happens sometimes. So uh, I'd be happy to talk more about it in an email, okay? Uh, before I leave, uh, know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He rose from the grave, and he has made you right with your heavenly Father. And someday, your Father will come and he will wipe away your tears from your eyes, and death will be no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us honor you. Help us be faithful to you in all we do. Help us know of your grace and your love for us. In your son Jesus' holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.